0: Ceridian creates innovative technology that organizations around the world use to attract, develop, manage, and pay their people. Its award-winning day solution helps customers manage compliance, make better decisions, build great teams, and drive engagement with their employees. Ceridian has solutions for organizations of all sizes. Ceridian makes work life better. For more information, visit www.ceridian.com. Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Summer, who is the CEO and founder of Techvento. Brian, how are you this morning?
1: Oh, uh, I'm in rare form today. Uh, so, yeah, I'm doing good.
0: <laughs> yeah, Brian. Brian and I. Um, bump into each other very routinely at analyst events in the big tech vendors. And Brian is is um, uniformly respected and feared for the biting quality of the questions that he asks. Uh, why don't you take a well, moment and introduce yourself and, and, and tell us how you got that
1: biting quality. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm just allergic to uh, folks blowing smoke up my skirt, or uh, you know, uh, or you know, just BSing their way through things trying to impress us. And uh, I find it kind of fun in the HR analyst meetings. I might be the only one there who's uh, knee deep in finance. Um, and really, I guess as part of an introduction, I actually was going to be by all practical. Measures. I was going to have a career probably in uh, commercial banking or Wall Street, and somehow I got derailed and ended up going to the consulting world. Um, anyway, I'm um, I'm I'm a former Accenture guy. I did 18 years with the company. Uh, I did a dot com with a fellow who used to be my arch enemy at Pricewaterhouse. And uh, I've been doing all kinds of other analyst stuff ever since. Ten years of my career, though, at Accenture, I ran that firm's software intelligence unit. And uh, that was a fascinating deal because there were up to 60-odd buy-side analysts who worked for me. And we advised uh, the world, kind of like Sherwin-Williams. We covered the plan on advising companies on what to buy and what to run away from on big-ticket software deals. And that kind of buy-side service and consulting kind of background is still with me to, to this day. So I look at vendors just like I would look at a client. I look at them with a pretty tough, keen eye trying to figure out what's really going on here and what do they need to fix. And and let's let's call a space fade spade here uh John you're pretty good too about asking some of the tough questions of the vendors and I never realized how good it was until uh, you and I were on a panel once and I think the other two analysts on that panel just kind of wilted away uh, in between uh, you know being stuck in between the two of us so uh, we are a force to be reckoned with I guess in some of those events
0: So so tell me a little bit about TechVenda what what exactly do you do?
1: Uh, we do a lot of really interesting things, mostly for buyers of technology, and I say that mostly um, you know occasionally I get requests from vendors when I go like on a three city speaking tour, and of course I'll say yes to that and uh and I'm going to bill them for it but you know, 85, 90% of our revenue here comes uh, from the buy side. And we help clients with uh, software selections, contract negotiations, um, shared service projects. And, in fact, I'm actively trying to see if I can get a big global software selection deal going on right now in the HR space. I've got another one I'm consulting on, uh, software selection for HR. Uh, but I do a lot of finance stuff as well. So, um uh, now, we also do some things that I can't tell you about. Um, I probably do more of these top secret projects than any other industry analyst, and I pull in some other industry analysts to work with me on these projects. I've uh, been involved in some massive litigation uh, expert witness work in the ERP space and um, some antitrust work. And a few other things I can't even tell you about, um because of either whatever nondisclosures, protection orders, whatever anyway, we do a lot of really cool things so so so
0: you're saying you're working in the White House, but you can't talk about it
1: i I have no connection to that i ha- i ha- I do go to Washington from time to time, and it's really funny when you get these calls from some k street law firm. And they won't tell you much of anything other than, "Can you be here Thursday at 8 a.m.?" And I'm like, "Make it 8:30." And yeah, I'll be there. And then the door closes, and I'm always astonished at the billing rate of all these law partners in these rooms. Um, it, to me, it, you know, you know how good a project is uh, going to be if the billing rate in that room is probably like $25,000 an hour, uh, you know, with all the lawyers in that room then I know, man, I'm going to enjoy this job. This is, this is going to be a good one.
0: <laughs> so so, so, how did you get from wherever you started, Texas, I assume, um, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, to um, the Tony offices of overpriced lawyers on K Street? That must be quite a story.
1: Uh, you know, I, I – yeah, I mean, I'm the only analyst I know who actually kind of grew up on a ranch in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of no place, in the middle of Texas. And uh, I grew up in a town where um, for most of my life, it didn't even have a picture show or a bowling alley. We did have like five cotton gins, a couple of pecan warehouses, um, and stuff like that. I mean, if you, I had to learn – Real quick, as a kid, the only way you keep from going crazy was to learn how to make your own fun. Um, I also learned how to make a buck. Uh, I'm one of five kids, and uh, small-town Texas druggists, which is what my dad was, they didn't make any money. And uh, uh, so if we needed something, we learned to do things like uh, harvest pecans, um, fix and repair, all kind of things. My goodness, I've probably rebuilt uh, – well, I've rebuilt over 24 car engines alone. Anyway, based on all that, though, what I got to be was one hustling, entrepreneurial kind of guy. When I went to college at uh, UT Austin, I ended up creating a consulting business just as a way to, to help pay off my college um, debts. And uh, I was doing some interesting work with um, – Uh, some law firms on figuring out how much somebody would have been worth if they hadn't been inadvertently killed, or I did radio station consulting programming work, and that was really cool because that's where I learned everything about the key demographic of radio stations around the country, and that's women, 18 to 34 years old, and I learned anything you want to know about what do they like to listen to, what do they like to buy, how often they're willing to tolerate uh, advertising interruptions and also learn that no woman ever wants to hear an ad for an acne treatment uh, medication like Clearasil or Oxy-5 that will cause them to change channels in a heartbeat and that little piece of, of uh, insight right there that probably made me tens of thousands of bucks uh, in college just uh, passing that little tidbit on to one radio station after another Anyway, I went much of a jump from there when I finally got introduced to uh, the folks at Accenture one day in a grad school um, kind of open house thing that was going on that uh, it turned me towards the world of consulting. And you never look back. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go into banking, uh, but yeah, I haven't looked back. <laughs>
0: and so and so when did just when did you start the current company and, and and tell me a little bit about how you got there
1: well fascinatingly enough uh i after i did the dot com for a couple of years um uh we were going into like a technology nuclear winter the dot com bust happened the y2k extravaganza ended uh and I needed to do something different uh fascinatingly, a number of h r recruiters told me that uh they, that no firm will touch me because I was a former accenture partner. They just said you're everyone's going to assume you're not willing to get your hands dirty uh you haven't done the honest days worth the work in years, and you want too much money <laughs> okay. yep. So, yep, so based on all that, uh, yeah, based on all that positive feedback I got from recruiters, I decided, well, you know, I've done my own consulting stuff before in the past. Might as well do it again. So, often, off I went, running and starting up another uh, dot com, and since then, it's a not dot com, but a consulting business. And along the way, I have had the opportunity to partner with some just. Fabulous uh, experts, subject matter experts in the HR and finance and ERP space on some of these projects, and the uh, the projects have been really fascinating. So that's been good.
0: Fantastic. So so who do you work for? Uh, it sounds it sounds like this is sort of a gun for hire business, but but I bet you have a clearer definition of who your customer is.
1: Uh, yeah, most of most of the time, most of the time, it's uh, larger firms who are doing some sort of either software uh, selection, software contract negotiation, or a uh, a shared service kind of initiative. It's fascinating. One, of, one of, uh, company I did a, led a big shared service, global shared service project on about a year and a half ago at the end of it all, I asked the key client, uh, how in the world did they find me and why did they choose me? Uh, uh, and I knew that he found me because his wife used to work for me years ago, but it was interesting. Uh, he said, yeah, I was telling about, I was telling her about who we were thinking about using on the project. And when your name popped up, she says, well, if you want the job done, you call Brian and, um, uh, that was great. I love that kind of um, you know uh, referral kind of stuff. But it's it's businesses, it's corporations, usually mid to large size firms who who want the best possible outcome they can get out of one of these uh, technology deals. By the way, you I think you know Vinnie Marchedani and I've teamed on a bunch of things. we just recently finished about two weeks ago. We finished the, a big negotiation on a giant uh, outsourcing deal. Um, I, I gotta change my billing model though, because honestly I charge mostly on either a fixed fee basis or in time and materials and on these big uh, contract negotiations, um, you know, when you shave 20, 30, 50 million off a deal, I keep thinking I should have gone on a commission basis or, you know, on a percentage of savings deal instead. Anyway, I love those
0: that's great so so you've seen technology mm-hmm. ebb and flow over uh, more years than almost anybody can count what do you make out of the current um gold rush in hr technology in particular and sort of as a sub question of that what are you thinking about the uh, the the various Bits and pieces that look like um, I, I'm calling it machine led decision making, but it's but it's predictive, predictive stuff that sort of the 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 uh, data makes its own gravy, and this is the gravy. What do you think about all that?
1: okay, well, uh, first of all, I think anyone who's still debating about uh, the smack technology, social mobile analytics, and uh, cloud. Uh, that's like all that. That generation is already becoming so. Last Tuesday, uh, to quote my kids when they were teens, and uh, what's being you know, and what's coming next is a different wave of technology that is extraordinarily different, and that's what you were alluding to. All the stuff that's being driven and powered by machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, algorithms. Uh, big data and a whole slew of other enabling technologies to go with it, including a memory database technology, Hadoop, and blah 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 um, what what a lot of people I think are, don't realize in the hr space is that many of those newer technologies are enable capabilities. That should not be treated as mere add ons or incremental uh, kind of capabilities to the old smack products, which we're knee deep in in the HR space. Um, and I think, uh, uh, and I know you and I have been pushing on vendors a lot to prove some of the science, if you will, behind some of their technology in these new spaces. A lot of this stuff isn't uh, fully well baked out right now. Let's park that point, though, for a moment, because I think what most people are missing in many companies is that a lot of the technology that was out there in the past um, existed and is shaped and formed in a way that reflects how constrained and expensive technology was Uh, You know, I I look out at audiences today and public speaking bits that I do, and I I kiddingly point out about there's a lot of experience out there in the audience. Not gray hair, but I'll go with experience. And... um, what a lot of these folks have had experience with are things like telling people, like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll run that paycheck for you, that revised paycheck, like two weeks from tomorrow when we ne- get our next payroll batch processing window. I mean, and I have a whole list of these old excuses that existed when technology was constrained. The constraints and the cost and the processing speed and all that kind of stuff, all those issues are essentially gone. And when you have no constraints, you don't. then what you have is the opportunity to have massive data models that are wide open. You can look at all kinds of stuff. You can look at data that isn't even 100% accurate, like social sentiment information. And we have workers who've never thought about their f- functions or processes or productivity in a way that uses all of this new stuff. I'm particularly chagrined when I see some of the ways people want to use this new technology in HR because they don't understand what they're doing. It's like we've given the village idiot a tank. And if they ever get that thing running, there's just no end to the kind of damage that some people can do if they use these technologies incorrectly. On the other side of the same coin, though, companies that don't get with this kind of new technology are going to find themselves behind the eight ball. When it comes uh, from a competitive advantage perspective, but this is stuff that needs to be used very carefully. All this new technology, and I don't know why I'm telling you this, John, because you're more on top of some of these matters than I am. Um, but uh, this is this is rarefied, new, dangerous space that we're in right now. Well,
0: uh, you know, it's 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 interesting. I think I think and I would love your take on this. My sense is that what we're dealing with. Is only loosely software, right? Software, to this point, uh, if you will, was an exercise in creating spreadsheets that that the client filled in. right and so and so you get this great big intellectual infrastructure, and the whole point of it is to fill in the database, right? it was it was the automation of forms processing and now um, what we're starting to see is is tools that come to you already full and the difference between what you get and what you use is that your utilization makes the tool able supposedly to um, tailor its responses to your particular situation right and so that's a that's not software as we know it that's a new kind of thing um and and it does take advantage of the fact that that the cost of processing and the cost of storage are approaching zero now so so there are all sorts of things that were too expensive to do before that that you could you you know you could run a, an infinite number of monte carlo simulations to arrive at a forecast and that technique which is which is uh called random forest um um is very popular, but it's really just a fidget spinner right? <laughs> right? it's it's not it's the, it's not it's not actually getting smarter and and so we're dealing with with early explorations I think we'll look back at this time and it'll you remember the movie those magnificent young men and their flying machines um
1: yeah
0: right where where the the experiments with flight looked so goofy in hindsight that um that you could make a comedy flick about it. I don't know what do you think
1: yeah, but there, but but you and and sadly, in the same breath, you could kind of see the logic path on what were they thinking, and then you're going, oh, i, I can kind of see why they came up with that idea, not that it was the right one.
0: But And if
1: I could put a sharper point on what you're saying, when technology was expensive and constrained, the only thing you could afford to automate were the things that were the most computationally intensive or the most manually or laborious, if you will and then what we ended up with is companies put together systems whether they were software companies or custom developed things that focused on predominantly trans business transactions and almost and to your point almost every system out there was designed around crunching something and getting some kind of output whether it was a report a paycheck whatever and that's what they did the focus was within entirely within the four walls of the enterprise one of the most fascinating things your listeners might get a kick out of is go find an old copy of uh, Michael Hammer and Champy's book uh, called uh, Reengineering the Corporation. And when you reread that book today and you look at the examples of what they talk about, about the productivity gains that could come out of uh, companies fixing processes, when that book was written in around 1990, um that they were limited as to how radically you could re-engineer a process because the technology was so expensive, constrained, limited, whatever. You know, it was such a it was such a vice on them. Now we don't need to. And, you know, I caution clients all the time. You know, let's quit worrying about automating the transaction processing. That's not really where the action's at. You're not going to get huge productivity gains as a corporation anymore from continuing to get another one tenth of one percent tweak on how you do a particular process. That's kind of done. Put a fork in it. And move on. Where the new big wave comes are in some of these newer areas, and that where we're going to have technologies that help us uh, make decisions and make them so fast, so frequently, and make them ever and ever more smartly. Um, and that is a different kind of perspective. And. I don't run into a lot of comp- a lot of execs at a lot of companies who have that kind of vision where they can see around corners and see the potential these new technologies can truly bring, other than to maybe do some incremental little uh, tweak to an existing process, and they're just missing the big picture.
0: So, so I want to disagree with you a little bit. Can you imagine that? Um, uh, <laughs> The 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 idea that technology still has somehow come unglued and there are no longer any constraints sort of grabs me. Um, and and what what I want to tell you that I'm that I'm seeing is that the next place where technology is bound by constraints starts to look like subject matter. And so so I'm spending a lot of time looking at HR. Um, artificial intelligence and what's patently clear is that nobody understands what people actually are and nobody understands what organizations actually are and when you try to have intelligent tools that manipulate the two things to some larger end um, the primary constraint is understanding Um, and what we're doing right now is completely analogous to what we've been doing with, with Computing all the way along, which is scrimping on expertise because we've got an understanding limitation on the problem right and so 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 the next frontier is very researchy and a very expensive wall between us and 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 some some of the fantasies that people are having about artificial intelligence,
1: actually, up until about the last two sentences, she said. Not only was I right along there with you, I'm like going, yes, you're absolutely right, John, on that. Um, uh, The subject matter expertise is the key thing. And when I see these new generation companies that are going to probably displace ERP vendors, it would be companies with names many folks have never heard of, like C3IoT, Polanter, Uptake Technologies, and others. You know they want to be viewed as technology firms, but where they actually, what they really are, is they have incredible collections of people who are not just data scientists and quants, uh, math quants. Now they're they're chock a block in people who really, truly, deeply understand uh, critical vertical industry uh, processes and uh, understand uh, certain business functions or people, social skills, if you will at a level that no traditional software company has and that's because traditional software companies were all about hiring tech people that could connect things together and process a transaction it was never those the old tech companies were never organized around delivering um insights they were around processing a transaction and as a result, we do have you know a lot of the old vendors aren't going to make the transition well because they just don't get it that the new world requires this kind of insight. I do think you now I, I do think it is that intellectual property which is going to be the big uh, wedge that that separates the old from the new technology companies. And I think on that you and I agree. What I think is really interesting is watching businesses try and figure out what does that mean for my processes and my back office systems. And it's really going to create some very dramatic or traumatic changes in those functions going forward.
0: I think, I think we're about to see companies fail because of the software that they're using. And, and that's going to be a really interesting thing. One of the, one of the next conversation we have Items are going to be the emergence of product liability in the software industry and what that's going to do.
1: Oh yeah, I uh, you know when we see companies, when we see, H, for example, in HR people where recruiters are relying on uh, let's say um, interview recommendations from an algorithm, and they end up uh, inadvertently replicating. Uh, old biases going forward and getting sued for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I clearly see that kind of stuff coming right around the horizon. Um, People are blindly relying on stuff that has poor or no science behind it. It can't be defended. And yet there's even uh, legislation in the EU that's going to require companies to actually defend the logic in their uh, algorithms and AI utilities they're using. And if you're in HR and you're not worried about that, boy, you really need to start worrying about that because a lot of vendors sell a black box and you can't defend something you don't understand or know.
0: Well, well so, so we're going to have to wrap it up, but here, what I'm learning is that what's in that black box is not something that anybody knows. And the idea that you're going to defend the logic Um, is wishful 20th century thinking because there isn't logic in there, right? You open the box and and what's in there is not logic.
1: Uh, This is not not logic. It's it's a pattern. Yeah, it's not logic. It was a pattern that it picked up on from a a bunch of prior uh, transactions or events. Right, right. So so it'll be a great conversation. This, this, we
0: didn't have nearly enough time. We should do this again soon. Um, and, and, and keep the conversation moving down the road. I really enjoyed talking with you, Brian.
1: Well, likewise, um, you you know I'm always good for another sparring match anytime you want to do it. <laughs>
0: well, well now that we've got the preliminaries out of the way, maybe we maybe we should get get the um uh rolls of quarters in the in the boxing gloves. Um would you like re- uh, yeah. <laughs> reintroduce yourself and tell people how they might get a hold of you.
1: All right, so folks, I'm Brian Summer, S O M M E R, and uh best way to get a hold of me might be uh, if you want to go to LinkedIn, uh, or excuse me, to uh, Twitter, you can get me at Brian S., as in Scott, Summer, uh, or at Brian at techventive.com for my email. And um, welcome calls anytime, and particularly if you've got some kind of Big, gnarly, interesting, cool kind of uh, project. Like I said, a, a selection, a contract deal, a shared service thing. Give me a holler. Love to hear about it. And even if we don't, even if you just want to chat, I love to hear what cool people are working on. So that's always fascinating, too. Well, thank you for having me on the call today. Thank
0: you. Thanks very much. We've been talking with Brian Summer, who is the CEO and founder of Ventive and one of the bright lights in the um, industry analyst scene. Thanks for taking the time to listen today, and we will see you next week. You've been on HR Examiner Executive Conversations. Thanks so much. Bye-bye now. <laughs>